The teaching for this evening is based on Psalm 103. This is God's word. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. If you're visiting tonight, my name is Matt Clegg. I'm an intern here, and it is a brand new year. I saw somebody post on Facebook a couple days ago that apparently one of the most unpopular status updates you could post is that my 2016 went pretty well for me. So I don't know if that's your experience, pretty pessimistic view of the year, but it's, we're past it nonetheless. But it's a good time to look in the Psalms and do a little life and God reflection this evening. You know, I want to talk about experiences and If anybody, if you have ever had a bad or a powerful experience, you know that the effect of that experience goes well beyond the moment when the experience happened. And I'll give you an example. Twice after eating at Taco Bell, Taco Bell, I got the flu. Now the flu, like nothing directly connected that should have been to Taco Bell, but I didn't need a Taco Bell for like a year afterwards because in my mind... When I eat at Taco Bell, I get the flu. Now, I could get the flu anywhere I walk. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's not a rational decision. It doesn't, make, it doesn't really make that much sense. But that experience has an impact that ends up carrying on and affecting um, you know, our future behavior. And I think that, you know, especially, that's kind of a silly example, but we have lots of experiences, and we have good experiences. A lot of us have had very hard experiences that end up shaping how we view the world. And especially when we look at our lives and we reflect and we look at God, then we, those 
we end up respecting and revering those circumstances in our lives such that we'll actually project them onto God and we'll subconsciously view Him in ways that aren't necessarily in line with how He's revealed Himself to be in His Word. I've titled this sermon, Doctor My Eyes, after the Jackson Brown song, if we have any Jackson Brown fans in here. You know, we've had so many experiences that sometimes we might lament with Jackson that, you know, can we really have eyes that can, you know, see the truth and see well, see accurately after all the experiences that we've had. So that's how we approach this psalm. And this psalm reveals to us a little bit about God's character. As we're approaching it in the first place as people that have been powerfully impacted and who will end up giving those experiences and projecting them onto God. And they affect how we view Him. But the Psalms are good. And I want us to think that Psalms are actually, that they're kind of like big rubber bands. That they, they take our experiences and they acknowledge them. And it's like they hook one end of the rubber band around our experiences and then they hook the other end around God's truth. And as we interact with the Psalms, then they shape us and mold us. And it's like they pull us and they pull our eyes to be able to see differently through them. So that's why we're looking at Psalm 103. And I want us to ask, you know, as this Psalm calls us to revere God and to respond to Him appropriately, more so than our experiences, then we have to ask the question that what... What kinds of experiences do we have that we tend to, ex- to distort? And what experiences does this psalm speak to us and challenge? And you'll see in your bulletin this outline, there are three that we're going to talk about. First is discipline. And the second is disappointment. And the third is devotion. And we're particularly going to look about, this psalm is just flowing with God's love. Like it is the main issue that we see here, how the lens through which that the psalmist views everything. And we're going to look at how God's love actually reinterprets these experiences for us so that we might see them differently. So look with me. If you'll look, first we'll look at discipline. In the, these verses, we'll start in verse 6, and I want to look at this section in verses 6 through 14 um, that are specifically about this issue. And how do we know that they're about discipline? Because we're talking about Israel here and on their wilderness journey where it talks about the Lord's deliverance from them from oppression and making known His ways. And then in verse 8 when it talks about, it says the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's actually a reference in Exodus chapter 34 when Israel made it all the way through the desert and they arrived at Mount Sinai. And God made a covenant with them, and He revealed to them who He is. So this whole section has in view that background, not only when God pulled them out of Egypt, but all the experiences He led them through along the way, and how He shaped them and how He revealed Himself to them while He's on Mount Sinai. And look at verse 9 here. He says, this verse, whenever I read this psalm, especially when I'm feeling down or overwhelmed, it jumps out at me. says, he will not always chide, and nor will he keep his anger forever. And what does this mean to chide? Like it's what it, it means to oppose or to stand against somebody or in even in a legal sense. Like if I was to oppose somebody that had done wrong legally, then it would be that I would chide. 
So that's what chide means, like to, to stand against or oppose somebody else in what they're doing. And it says that God will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. But there's a reason why this verse had to be included in here in that, like, God chides. I mean, there's a reason why that, it would, that we would need to be reassured that He doesn't chide us forever, nor does He keep His anger. He doesn't always chide, nor does He keep His anger forever. And I think most of us know deep down, you know, have had experiences where we just feel like God is against us. Like he doesn't like us, that he doesn't understand us. And those tend to be situations like when we're conscious of our own sin, we know we sin, and we sin repeatedly, and we can't seem to stop. Then, you know, no matter how much we know cognitively about what we have in Jesus, then, you know, those thoughts and those feelings just start creeping in that there is no way that God can like me in this situation how I am and how I'm behaving. And then in other ways that, you know, whenever our lives aren't going that well, where we're not, they're not, you know, what we want is not happening, when we can't do what we want to do, then it's easy for us to get frustrated at God and think that He's against us. Like, He doesn't get us. He doesn't know how much I can take. He doesn't know what I want and what I really need in my life and what's going on. You know, why does God just always chide? Why does it always seem like He's against us? And the reality is, you know, if we think about it, that these are human responses. Like this is how we end up relating to each other in everyday life. That, you know, we, when, you know, we're retributive, and, you know, when somebody does something to us that we don't like, then we turn around and we think bad on them and we want to get back at them and we get frustrated and we don't like them. Or if, you know, somebody does something that really messes up our life and gets in our way, then, you know, we get frustrated. And there's no way that they can be on our side. Like I said, like, these are human experiences that when we take, that we know deep down, and then when we come to God in these moments, then that's the most natural thing. That this is how God must be. This is how He must behave towards me. This was the same with Israel as they were wandering through the wilderness. That God opposed them several times when they built a golden calf and, and explicitly against God. And then also when they would turn and they would try to go back to Egypt and say that I want something different than what God is doing with me. And that they were angry and frustrated at God about where he was, he was leading them. I think we all know what this, like, what this is like. So what we need to do is we have this psalm that's giving us a very different picture. It's giving us a different lens that we are to take our experiences and view them through when we look at God. And just look at the things that it says here. I mean, they're just wonderful verses. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I mean, like, we tend to be quick to anger and slow to love, but God is just the opposite. Like, He falls out of anger. He doesn't just slip into anger. He's slow to be angry with us. In verse 9, we talked about in verse 10, that He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. So what that means is that, I mean, just let that sink in a little bit, that how God behaves towards His people 
It's not an equation by how much sin that you have in your life and what you've done to him. That there are different reasons why he makes decisions towards you than the amount of sin that we have. And then he goes on in verse 13. He says, As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. So what we get here is a picture. It should jump, us, jump, us, jump out at us from the very beginning is that God is not like us. That there are similar ways. Like we can compare him to a father who loves his children, but these are like the closest that we can get to try to understand the love of God and how he behaves towards us. So what do we do with this? I, I mean, because if we take the example of Israel, but we might want to ask, but God, God did oppose them, so why? Like, what then would his motives be? You say he has different motives, but how do we think about that? And, then, and Israel's a good example because God took Israel out of bondage in Egypt and they was taking them somewhere that was going to be good for them. He wasn't leaving them where they were. He didn't stop at just redeeming them from their bondage. But God had this whole journey set out for them that he was going to richly, richly, richly bless them. And there are several times along the way, from the human side, what it looks like is that God has left us out to dry. That he's disciplining us. He's not letting us do what we want to do. That these are all bad, bad things. But God opposed the people for their own benefit and their own good out of his love. And I think that's the key. So when we see it, it's the same, it's the exact same, it might look like the exact same scenario when, with a human, that whenever we, some, we oppose somebody out of frustration and anger, that there's also opposition from God. However, his love for his people makes everything different. It reinterprets the whole circumstance. And I'll give you the best example. This happened to me uh, about a week ago. So my oldest son, it was his birthday. We had a good day, but as birthdays do, they kind of tend to bring out you know, the, the me monster within. And there was some, a few conflicts along the way throughout the day. But then we, he got some Legos for his birthday, and we went to the Lego store. And he picked out you know, as much as his money would spend, and we were going home. And I just, it really struck me as I was standing on the elevator, and I looked back at him, and he was just beaming. Like he couldn't, I mean, he was so excited to have these Legos. But, you know, I'm not a good example as like how, as far as what it's like to, you know, administer discipline out of pure love with no frustration. But I know what it's like. like I mean, I could not have been more happy and proud with him in that moment. I mean, just the look on his face and that excitement. I mean, that love that stirred up. I mean, I think is the perfect image as close as we can get that captures it. That whatever agenda that God has with us, and it feels like he's not letting us do what we want to do, and it feels like he's against us, feels like he doesn't like us, it's coming from that kind of posture. Like somebody who loves us to that degree. And of course, when we think about the cross, like all of these things listed... This was coming through the lens of the covenant of the gifts that God had given to Israel and the way that they could live with him and live in close relationship with the holy God. But 
the benefit of having Jesus is that in our sin, actually going down into the grave, it couldn't get any more dead than it, would then, than it became through Christ. And we couldn't be standing any more righteous if we belong to Christ than the life that came out of the grave that we have in Him. I mean, what a sign of God's love, but also what a reassurance of what we have as a sign that God's agenda with us is not in direct correlation to our sin. He doesn't deal with us according to our iniquities. He deals with us out of His love. And so this is a great reason for us as we struggle with our own experiences and we struggle to view God as this is a challenge to us to follow after Him and to revere Him and to respect Him and to receive what He has for us as good gifts rather than what it may feel like is going on. So that's discipline. God's discipline comes out of love. His love reinterprets our experiences of it into something very different. But moving on, and you know, this is something that discipline is something we experience when we can sense a relation, you know, that we are before God, that God is there. But I think we in a lot of our lives then a lot of the experiences we have and what it looks like is not necessarily that God is against us, but that maybe He's not there in general or that He's distant. And that's where we get this word disappointment as we're going to look down and we're going to look at verses 15 through 19 in this next section here. You know, disappointment is one of the most common human experiences in our lives. And it seems, often seems like nothing lasts. And, you know, we have these funny phrases like an an optimist is only a pessimist without experience, you know. Like, live a little longer and you'll see more and then you'll come to see things like I do. I mean, you know, the world comes and goes. Our lives go up and down. We even, it makes it more difficult. We live, we live right now in a culture of skepticism that it's like more intelligent to be skeptical about something than it is to believe in something that like carries more weight in our culture. And I think it a lot has to do with this issue is because whenever we believe in something, then there's always that possibility of being disappointed by it. All kinds of things, like relationships rise and they fall, our bodies are young and work well at some times and then less well, so we get injured or get older. People we trust, you know, one minute and we admire and then things change. Even I think with me, one of the things that gets often frustrating is that even a spiritual sense that, you know, I'll always feel like one moment things are going great and I feel like, you know, I've got it, I'm on a high, things are going well, and then it just always like goes back down and then there's periods of darkness that follow it. You know, it's, you know, I, I don't really, disappointment is something that we all know, I know deep down. And this song connects with it. Psalm connects with it. In verse 15, it says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But this is a human experience. This is what we see. But we have to ask the question what is God like? Does this actually mean, from a human standpoint, that he's not there and that he's not involved? Or is there something else going on? And the answer comes in verse 17. It says, But the steadfast love of the Lord 
is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Which I think is a very interesting verse. Like it's not, it acknowledges the situation. Like the situation doesn't change. Like often the, what we see in front of our eyes is the flowers. He's comparing it like to the Middle East where the flowers come in full bloom at one time of the year and then it's just desert after that. But it's the steadfast love of the Lord that's from everlasting to everlasting. So it's the love of the Lord that is what gives things permanence. That the objects of his love are not going in a downward direction that will lead to disappointment, but they're actually going in a different direction. That they go with God where he goes. So his commitment stays on us well beyond human commitment, is what this saying, is that it's not what we can do, that it's, but it's, it's his love that he gives to us that we often can't see is the thing that gives us permanence. And I'll give you an example of this. Just to kind of get to this picture, how, because this fact that it could look the same, in, but yet be in, on two very different director, trajectories. I lived in a house after, in my last year of college with a bunch of other college guys. And after we moved out, then they actually tore the house down. Like, now, I mean, that's correlation. That's not, I would argue that that's not causation there. But it was a bunch of college guys in a house. So I drove past it at one point, and I noticed that the house, you know, it was in the middle of being torn down. There were piles of rubble. There's walls, like, halfway standing up, boards leaning up against it, what have you. And it just, it looks sad. I mean, it's on its way out. It's going down. However... You know, several months later, I remember driving back by the house and it struck me, it was almost at the exact same point of construction. There are piles of rubble on the ground that, you know, there are just a few walls up, boards laying everywhere. But the house was like in the process of being rebuilt, like into something brand new. So like from human eyes, I mean, it's, it's kind of an example, like it just, it looked about the same. However there was somebody behind this that took enough care in this house, they were actually in the process of taking it somewhere something somewhere very different. It was a very different destiny that this phase of the house had as the last one. And thus, so what this is trying, what this is communicating to us here is it's acknowledging the situation, it's acknowledging the disappointment, but providing a reassurance of God's love behind it all is that there's a new architect, there's a new purpose, there's a new direction that w- is what, get, what will give permanence. And it is this thing that we have to look at to remind us. It can reinterpret the situation that we see in front of our eyes rather than disappointment, a God who loves us dearly that we go with. And again here, we think about the person of Christ and how this relates Christ left people disappointed for three days. And when he came and he had his whole long ministry on earth, and when he was crucified, people were very, very disappointed. He seemed like just another failed prophet in everyone's eyes. However, his death was only the beginning. It wasn't the end. And as a sign of God's love, that he would do that for us, that we, through him we can belong to him, that we also become benefit to the other side. And Christ rose again from the dead. 
and was given all the blessings of heaven and earth and a new creation, that those come to us through him. We kind of have to ask ourselves there. We, we can look at these things and we say, okay, discipline and disappointment, that God's love changes those, but how do I become a partaker in this? And I think we see a lot of words in here about fearing God and keeping His commandments. And we might wonder, is this a blessing that maybe is for somebody else? that does a better job at these things rather than me. But, in the first place, when the Old Testament uses phrases like this, for those who love God and fear His commandments, that what it's referring to is the people that participate in the life of the covenant. It's not referring to people who never sin, or who never mess up, that obey perfectly. It's people who sin, but take their sins to God and the means that He has given them. And they live and strive to obey him and interact with him in relationship in that community. In the first place. So that's just to say that when we read this, what it's talking about simply are Christians. So if you profess to believe in Christ by faith, then this is talking about you. But just look at how the psalm begins and ends. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And at the end, it's the same. Bless the Lord, O you His angels. You do His word. Obey the voice of His word. All of His hosts, His ministers. You see, there's a lot of exclamation marks here. I mean, this, when you read this, this is not something that, you know, from a human standpoint, when we think about God and we think about us and we think about how do we, you know, partake in these blessings, it tends to be how can we get our lives in a position going in the right way that we feel good and we feel good before him that we can have confidence that we you know we're in the community and we read these things and it kind of feels like i mean it, i mean sometimes for me it can almost grate on my nerves it's like ah i mean i just don't have that like that sounds more laborious than anything else you know that like to just give all these shouts of praise you know when i'm not sure when yeah, I just don't feel it. You know, that the human experience and what I'm being given here are different and they don't match up and there's conflict. However, verses 3 through 5 says that this essentially, I want to propose, that is the song of the redeemed. Look at the progression here. He says, Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is a progression from being lost all the way, being saved, and all the way to made new. Like a youth, like a brand new creature. This is the context that this psalm says, that sets it in. And what his offering are these shouts of praise is the excitement that is the benefit of those that belong to this promise, to this kind of redemption. That these are things that we can say, we can be infected by them, and we can be excited about them. And the thought of the whole world shouting these things out and being at perfect peace and perfect harmony in singing praise to the one that loves us to the degree 
that this would be counted to us. That God would love us to the, to the degree that our lives would be characterized by those who were in our iniquity, in our diseases, our lives in the pit, to those that would be completely made new. And when we get God's love for us in that situation, then the task of actually shouting these things out and worshiping becomes very different. It's kind of like, you know, when your team finally wins it all in the end and everybody gives a good shout of jubilation, like, that's not work. I mean, that's the payoff. This is like in a whole room of people, everybody's shouting the same praise together. This is kind of the picture that we're given. And our hearts are not always there. We don't always feel it. But the act of going through these psalms and, and reflecting on the promises and taking hold of them, this is saying that this is true for you. That this is true for you if you belong to Christ. So these shouts are ours. These are things that we can give and things that we can enjoy free of conscience. To truly enjoy. Is the benefits of belonging to Christ. So I want, as we conclude, I just want to give us this challenge as we think about these things and we reflect on the new year, just to repeatedly ask ourselves, what is God really like? Is He really like who I think that He is in responding like a human being or is it a little bit different? And how does this love reinterpret what we see with our eyes? And if you don't belong to Christ, it's the same challenge, the same questions. What is God really like? Who has He said that He is? And how does His love reinterpret the experiences that you see? Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your Word and you thank You that You give this to us. We do confess that our experiences of difficult things outnumber often the experiences of good. And we need new eyes. So I just pray for us as we go about this week and as we start this new year that you would minister to our hearts, that you would help us to see Jesus, you would help us to see the love that has been given to us through him, and that you would tune our hearts, that we would be able to shout in these ways out of pure joy and hope in you. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.